to Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Sethi, and today we have with us Ken Zalewski. Ken has spent over two decades in the healthcare cybersecurity space and has worked in close collaboration with the FDA and leading hospitals, facilitating awareness and best practices amid record-breaking breaches. Inspired by these industry-wide struggles, Ken founded and is currently the CEO of Vigilant Ops. Ken, it's great to have you on today. How are you? Thanks, Tanya. It's great to be here. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, very well. Thank you. The sun is shining, so I'm I'm very happy. <laughs> well, and, and and a happy Valentine's Day. I know it's uh, Valentine's Day today, so uh, <laughs> hope you're enjoying the day. Yep. Yes, you too. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, cool. Well, let's let's dive straight into it then. Um, so you've spent over two decades in the medical device and healthcare industry. How has cybersecurity developed over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think all the way back to uh, my original, uh, you know, role at Bear. So I spent about 20 years at Bear um, leading their medical device cybersecurity function, but it, it didn't start off that way. Uh, in the beginning, it was mainly uh, focused on uh, privacy and security. So HIPAA mm -hmm. and breaches with respect to patient data was the main concern. Um, as we kind of rolled forward and events kind of took place and FDA got more aware of security with devices, you know, kind of morphed into a privacy and security uh, function more than, you know, just privacy. Um, and I remember in uh, 2011, um, I was at a conference uh, and uh, the, the, for the first time, at least that I had seen, a, um, a presenter got up on stage and uh, showed that he could hack into his own insulin pump, uh, which made everybody in the audience nervous, including FDA, uh, and they got a little more serious about cybersecurity. It seems to me kind of the tide started to turn then, um, even back then in 2011. Oh, wow. And are there any other sort of stories uh, or incidents you can recall that have really sort of transformed and, and, and led to these policies and regulations? Yeah, sure. I mean, so in in the med tech space specifically, and you know, uh, you know, cybersecurity is everywhere, and in all the industrial verticals. And uh, you know, uh, Biden called out sixteen critical infrastructure industries in his executive order. But mm -hmm. if you focus on med tech, uh, you know, I look at the kind of the watershed moments. I think one of them was in 2011 um, with the hacking of that uh, insulin pump. Again, it was a, a stage demo, but it got everybody thinking. And then uh, in WannaCry in 2017, and I still remember the date, May 12th, 2017, I walked into my office to uh, panic in the field uh, with devices that were uh, kind of being held ransom. And so that was the, you know, our first real experience um, with medical device uh, ransomware and hacks. Uh, and, uh, you know, that really precipitated a lot of the work that FDA uh, started to put together with respect to cybersecurity. And I and I remember in 2018, uh, so just the year later, FDA was already talking about pre-market guidance, including cybersecurity requirements uh, that would be more stringent than they'd ever come out with before. I was in um, Washington, D.C., working with, with FDA um, and uh, actually presented at their uh, workshop that they did with their pre-market guidance workshop and you know, started to put together the very beginnings of uh, what turned out to be the pre-market guidance that was just released um, this past year. So, um, so yeah, there were a, a few big watershed moments, uh, especially in med tech, that kind of precipitated this. And then there's lots of other breaches that have happened since, or um, even in parallel to all of that. Or, I mean, we know about the the pipeline breaches and the solar wind stuff and things that have happened across other verticals. But 
in med tech specifically, when patients' lives are in the balance, right, you, you need to really uh, pay close attention. And FDA has done a, a great job in doing that. Yeah, no, awesome. And I think when when you and I were last speaking, you uh, there's a quote that you uh, that you made, and I it really sort of stuck with me. You said, "Losing records to uh, losing lives." Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, it's probably not an original, but uh, original <laughs> quote. But if you think about it, um, you know, there there are you know lives in the balance. Patients. At the end of the day, what we're all trying to do, and Vigilant Ops included, you know, the reason I launched Vigilant was. Uh, patient safety and patient security. I mean, we're all consumers of healthcare at some point in our lives. Uh, and what we want to know is when we go into a hospital uh, that we're surrounded by equipment that's safe and won't be breached and won't impact our health uh, more than it's already been impacted, right? So uh, it, there have been multiple incidents over time that have kind of stressed this. And, and I recall a um, an incident that happened in Germany uh, at a German hospital where the hospital was hacked um, and unfortunately someone was on their way to the hospital for treatment. Um, the equipment being down, they turned the ambulance away and sent them to the nearest hospital for treatment. And unfortunately that patient passed away on the way to the second hospital. So, you know, there, there's evidence that says these things interfere, these breaches, these vulnerabilities, these attacks um, interfere with our ability to provide, you know, patient care. And that's, that's not good. Right. So, uh, no, so no, patients' no. lives literally are, you know, in the balance. In the balance though. Absolutely. Uh, well then tell me a little bit more then how, how did you kind of discover that there was a gap in the market and how did you, um, kind of come up with the idea, um, of Vigilant Ops? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to say, um, so we, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I say we back in the day, um, dealt with a lot of the cybersecurity issues coming up in med tech um, kind of over and over again with a with a number of fielded medical devices uh, that Bear had and also just the internal processes and procedures. And, you know, I, I'm a technology guy from way back when. And, you know, as I looked at the problem and I looked at the solutions that existed, I realized that there really was no kind of advanced technology that had been applied to this problem. I mean, folks were working on it. And uh, don't get me wrong, there were tools and solutions that existed to kind of get at this uh, cybersecurity stuff from a med tech perspective. But nobody had really gotten to that deep level of understanding the vulnerabilities at the components, uh, in, the, in the components and at the component level. And, and so, I, you know, FDA uh, started to work on the idea of a software bill of materials, um, a lot like a bill of materials uh, that has been around for a gazillion years in manufacturing. But uh, a software bill of materials is just what it says. It's a bill of materials of, of the software components in a system. And so in a medical uh, device space, analogous to kind of the food uh, ingredients on a food package, mm -hmm. you can look at an, an SBOM and see the software that's running in a medical device. Now, that sounds, you know, and, and, and probably in a couple of years, it'll be common sense. It probably is almost common sense now to think about that, right? I mean, if you think about what you're deploying on your network, you want to know what's running inside there because those software components are vulnerable uh, at any given time. We all know commercial off-the-shelf software is vulnerable. Uh, and so there are breaches that happen against those components all the time because of the software vulnerabilities. So knowing what's in there is really the only way to protect yourself. So providing that transparency is what we call it uh, into that list of components virtually running in a device is what the software bill of materials does. And so when I thought about that and I thought about the software bill of materials and the idea of producing and you know generating and sharing that software bill of materials, it just appealed to me in the sense that I thought, well, there's an opportunity, I think, to 
apply advanced technology to help manufacturers uh, produce these software bill of materials first off because they're not easy to produce and then secondly to help uh, consumers or people uh, you know folks that deploy the technology hospitals in the med tech space to understand and to consume those in a in a way that helps them uh, protect themselves uh, from a network perspective so uh, you know all that in mind kind of mishmash in my in my head got me thinking that uh, you know we could work on an advanced technology solution that could really help both you know, uh, hospitals and uh, medical device manufacturers. And that's how uh, I kind of launched Vigilant Ops with that thought in mind. Mm, no, absolutely. So is it is it mandatory for producers to now have that um, software bill of materials? Is, is it mandatory for them to, to put that information together? Yes. So, you know, it's a great question. So just... Um, in uh, the, the end of 2023, uh, President Biden uh, signed the Appropriations Act, uh, which is really kind of just the um, it's the it's the big uh, budget bill that gets passed uh, through the yeah. government that helps the government stay open. You know, you hear about government shuts down, shutdowns and running out of budget. Well, this is the bill that keeps the government in business. So it's really long, lengthy, thousands and thousands of pages. But in there, uh, they tucked in some wording. Uh, giving the uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, this legislative authority uh, to require a software bill of materials. And so uh, for the first time, FDA uh, is not providing guidance to device manufacturers, which is kind of like they would say through their guidance documents, hey, you know, you should do this. Uh, our best practices are these things. Now they're saying by law, you're required to provide a software bill of materials. And so everybody across verticals, um, FDA included and others in other industries realize the value of the software bill of materials and have actually made it, you know, a legal requirement. And um, even prior to that, uh, the government itself requires software bill of materials from all of their vendors now. So uh, you can't uh, do government work, uh, provide software to the government without providing a software bill of materials. Uh, so it's um, it's uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you think about providing software. Uh, inside a, an endpoint, a system, I mean, think about the stuff that's out there that's running on computers today, pretty much everything, smart cars, jet engines, I mean, uh, the energy sector, uh, the grid, right? I mean, everything runs on these software components. And so not understanding where your vulnerabilities are really leaves you open for a lot of risk. And so everybody's realizing that and saying software bill of materials is the way to go with respect to communicating that risk. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So, so tell us a little bit about Vigilant Ops then. Uh, what, what is the technology? What, what can we, um, what, what, how does it help customers? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, Vigilant Ops, I'm proud to say we, we uh, launched in 2019. Uh, we st spent the first year in and ch some change building our platform. We call it the Insight platform. And the idea behind that is exactly what I said, is to, is to really help, uh, I'll call them producers of technology and consumers of technology, uh, to share the software bill of materials and vulnerability information uh, with each other. And so the idea is, uh, and it, you know, we started in med tech because that's where my background is, but the, the platform is really kind of ubiquitous and, and works across um, any industry, any vertical, because a software bill of materials is a software bill of materials. So mm -hmm. you look at it from the perspective of uh, we're helping the producers of technology to generate, maintain, uh, monitor the software bill of materials because these are continuous a software bill of materials is an evergreen document. So we know vulnerabilities pop up. Uh, actually, I think the, the number that we're at right now is around 51 
vulnerabilities on a daily basis that pop up. Uh, so every day, 51 new vulnerabilities are being added to the pile of vulnerabilities out there already. So you, you got to stay on top of this, right? You can't just say, oh, here's my software bill of materials and I'm done with it. Uh, so we help uh, create the software bill of materials to start with. Uh, and then we ma maintain them by monitoring them continuously, updating vulnerabilities, providing manufacturers or producers of technology uh, with um, ways to, to be proactive uh, on their systems and devices to understand the where the vulnerabilities are so they can fix them uh, mm -hmm. and, and uh, really kind of share those then the, uh, the updated monitored software billing materials with their consumers. And in the med tech space, the consumers of technology, as I mentioned, are hospitals. Uh, but in any case, it could be any endpoint. So if you look at um, the consumers, then instead of giving them, uh, if you look at an S-bomb today, if you peel back the onion and look at an S-bomb, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. It's uh, it's like really kind of almost like machine code. I mean, I wouldn't say it's at that level, but it's not human readable. So not very human readable, let's say. So so the, the multiple formats that are out there today, the accepted standards, um, if you would open those files, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But our platform consumes those and makes sense out of them and presents them in a way that folks can understand them and then makes the monitoring of those vulnerabilities uh, much more automatic and uh, you know kind of an automated way. So the consumers then can ingest the SBOM as well. So on the producer side, we're helping manage, uh, maintain, uh, share, and then on the consumer side, we're helping ingest and make that information actionable. Mm. No, awesome, awesome. And and how how does the competitive landscape look like um, for, for you guys? Uh, are there any other technologies or products in the market that have been helping with this sort of thing? Yeah, so there have been some software bill of materials tools um, that have been uh, mainly focused on the build, what I would call the build or the engineering uh, side of the, the equation. So if you think about software, um, one of the smart things to do is to secure the software uh, be, uh, you know, secure the components or device or system before mm -hmm. you even release it, right? And so there's a lot of momentum with respect to understanding that prior to releasing it. So I would call that the build side or engineering side where mm -hmm. there have been tools that have popped up that help folks uh, build a software bill of materials out of their source code or in there, what, what's called a CI/CD pipeline. And those tools have been good. I think they've been really helpful. There's a lot of open source tools for folks to generate an SBOM. Uh, there are some commercial products out there to generate the SBOM, and they're they're, they're good tools. Uh, they work in that that environment. The, the the differentiation between us and tools like a software uh, bill of material generator is that we provide that entire platform. So we provide what we call SBOM lifecycle management. So from the creation of the SBOM, all the way through really to retirement of that endpoint or system. So you imagine a medical device. You start off on design and development. You roll through production, you get it out into the field, customers use it for however many years, and then it's end of life. The SBOM ecosystem, the SBOM lifecycle follows that lifecycle of the product. And so we go all the way from generation through to consumption, all the way through to retirement. So we're looking at the problem holistically and, and from the perspective of multiple stakeholders involved in the software bill of materials. And there's a full ecosystem and lifecycle behind the software bill of materials. It's not just, I said, a point in time. Um, so, you know, as I said, the tools out there today mainly focus on helping the engineering teams uh, do a better job of understanding what's in their systems, which is a great thing, helping produce more secure products to begin with. But our platform really covers that whole um, ecosystem and landscape and life cycle of the SBOM. That's that's incredible. Amazing. Um, and so what, what is your vision then with uh, Tops? What, what do you want to achieve um, in the in the coming years? Yeah, great question. So if you think about 
an ideal world for a software bill of materials. And so uh, let me talk about the supply chain for just a quick second. So the supply chain right now, especially we'll call it the software supply chain, right? You think about consumers uh, and producers of technology up and down the supply chain. In an ideal world of the software bill of materials, um, and I'll call it the ideal SBOM world, uh, producers of technology would provide the, provide the SBOM to the consumers of technology. And so consumers would understand what they're consuming, the risk involved, and then they would in turn provide an SBOM to their consumers. So consumers become producers, provide an SBOM up the chain to the, to the consumer. And then that consumer understands the, the risk. And so all in all, you know, through this supply chain, there's this transparency, this visibility, this accountability, the responsibility um, throughout that supply chain to understand that security, uh, starting all the way down at the very low, lowest level component, all the way through to a finished product. Uh, that gets consumed by us, let's say, as consumers, right? So the the ideal S-bomb world looks like transparency up and down the supply chain. Everybody's got S-bombs for all of their components, products, um, you know, um, systems that have been um, that have been uh, pulled together with multiple components or multiple other systems, right? Um, all of these have transparent S-bombs, and everybody understands uh, at an inherent level the risk involved in the in the products they're consuming. And I think about it even as uh, as as silly as it might sound as even like a security number on the side of a product that we would consume, right? Because we're consuming products as consumers, not just B2B, but we're consuming products that have vulnerabilities in them too. I mean, our, our phones, right? I mean, it's a great example. We carry around these phones, which have loads of software components. We're all running hundreds of thousands or more than that apps that are out there today that all have uh, vulnerabilities, right? And so, you know, I would like to know at any given point in time, how secure is my phone, right? Or how secure is the, you know, the air conditioner that I'm using, the, you know, the, the thermostat, the smart thermostat that I'm using, right? So those things have all, you know, I'm, I'm even picturing those as being part of this supply chain and understanding that security level. And I think it'll start off as kind of a marketing opportunity for folks to say, hey, our product's more secure, look at our SBOM. Uh, but then I think eventually we come, come to the point where it'll be like a Carfax, right? People will be like, well, give me your SBOM, right? Before they before they purchase, right? So, so it'll be something like that, I picture. And Vigilant Ops will be right there. Um, we're focused totally on the SBOM. We're watching the maturity of the market and, and how things roll forward, the ecosystem, working a lot with FDA still. I'm still the um, chair of the Global Cybersecurity uh, Trade Association. We look at requirements all around the world, uh, make sure that we're aligned with that. So we'll be right there following the ecosystem as it evolves. But I, but I see, you know, I foresee that in the future that, SBOM will continue to be uh, demanded, uh, be accepted more. And I think in a perfect world, we'll all be sharing SBOMs. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of puts into perspective how overlooked something like that has, has been uh, for such a long time. Um, but it's it's good that the new bill, like you said, has passed and it's it's coming becoming a law that um, this is something you, you you sort of need and, and everybody should have visibility on that. And, and like exactly like you said, having that transparency um, across the supply chain, like how, how how good with that and imagine the amount of um, breaches we can avoid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, you know, that's the hope. I mean, you know, you know, the caveat is there's no there's no 100 percent guarantee that, that, you know, and, and that's that's the unfortunate world of the, that we live in with respect to vulnerabilities and hacking. And, you know, the bad guys always kind of being one step ahead. And you look at AI and folks leveraging AI uh, to even do, you know, deep fakes and all the things you hear about today, right? Um, that's just going to get probably worse as we go forward. But, you know, the, we're always, as the good guys, let's call it, we're, we're always working really hard to keep up with that. And, you know, and I think, uh, 
uh, you know, there's no, there's no magic or we call it, there's no silver bullet is what we say in, at Vigilant Ops. You know, there's no, no one thing is going to protect us uh, 100%, but the S-bomb will, will take us a, a long way down the road and much farther than we've been, you know, up until now. So. Absolutely. No, awesome. And, and so I know, of course, you you touched on this a little bit. So healthcare is is, is a big sort of focus in terms of an industry for you. Uh, what other industries um, could really benefit from this sort of technology? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So as I mentioned, um, President Biden uh, passed the executive order of 14028 uh, back in 2021 uh, with respect to cybersecurity across multiple verticals. And he called out 16 uh, what he called were critical infrastructure industries, mm -hmm. uh, and that included energy and, uh, you know, others, uh, the Department of Defense or, or Defense uh, Industrial Base, um, you know, those kind of things. Um, but there, I mean, the, there are many, many um, industries, uh, every industry really benefits that because they're, you know, everybody's pretty much running some kind of software uh, mm -hmm. in their products today, you know, across any industry. So you look at the um, the energy sector, uh, the grid uh, is is you know highly dependent uh, on computers, right? I mean, we're uh, every single uh, power plant is running you know probably thousands of endpoints uh, that have you know multiple hundreds of components that at any point in time are vulnerable. And so you know we've seen uh, breaches across every industry practically. And so really any industry and and especially the critical infrastructure and and what he, I think what he meant by that critical infrastructure was, if you take one of those industry down, industries down with respect to a breach, uh, then you're really kind of crippling the U.S. economy. So the idea behind it is to, you know, kind of look at those first and, and the scope becomes, you know, let's let's protect these 16 first healthcare is one of them. As I mentioned, energy, um, th there's a bunch of uh, water, uh, water treatment plants, those kind of things. They're all, as you can think about it, they're all part of that critical infrastructure. Uh, but then there are, there are many industries that that will be protected beyond that. Those would just be kind of in scope. Uh, top of mind, so to speak. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, going back to your question, I think it's, it's important for us to think about really uh, not the industry itself, but the fact that we're deploying products uh, that are, that are vulnerable because they're running software and that's not about the change. So we need to really think about this, you know, cross verticals, right? Mm, absolutely. No, awesome. And, and what, what would you say your um, obstacles or hurdles have been so far in the journey? Well, in the beginning, it was a little bit, um, a little bit like a learning experience. And actually, in, in a lot of cases, we see um, at different points uh, along the trajectory of the S-bomb lifecycle, as I mentioned, um, consumers and producers kind of being at, at various points along that trajectory. So, you know, we, we have some, we've seen some producers who are, have matured their organization, understand the S-bomb, understand the value of it, maybe have been doing things manually, running some of those tools I mentioned uh, on the engineering side. Uh, but um, a whole lot of sharing has not happened yet. Uh, so there has been a little bit of sharing uh, between producers and consumers, but right now that's a little bit of a hurdle. Uh, a lot of producers feel like uh, the software bill of materials is something that they uh, is, is a little proprietary to them, maybe a little bit of uh, uh, intellectual property involved in that. And also I think the big concern is uh, you're putting out a roadmap uh, to a hacker to to go after my product, right? If you say, I have this product with these components and here's the vulnerabilities, wow, you just pretty much uh, gave them the map. So that's understandable. But the idea behind, uh, and that's also the idea behind Vigilant Ops is we allow this controlled distribution of the software bill of materials. So you don't want to just put your software bill of materials on a website. Probably even a bad idea to put it on a portal that has authentication to it where, where you're somewhat controlling it. 
it's much better to do kind of point to point, provide it to consumers that you vetted, uh, that you understand our customers and have an actual need for the software building materials. So we see that as a little bit of a hurdle, but it will be overcome uh, with, with technology and through authentication techniques that um, allow consumers uh, to get SBOMs directly from manufacturers uh, in an efficient way. Uh, so that's been a, a little bit of a hurdle. I think it'll be a little bit of a hurdle for, uh, you know, probably I would say the next six months or a year till folks kind of get used to the idea. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great point. Um, but no, lovely. The, this this has been great, uh, Ken. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your journey and uh, more about Vigilant Ops. Um, sure. I, I'm really excited to uh, to see what you and your teams sort of achieves and, and the journey that you go on from here. But um, yeah, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Tanya. It's been a pleasure and uh, great questions and I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. Thank Have you, Tanya. Thank you, you too. Bye.